podcast. Life can be stressful. You are now tuned into the truth frequency. We are TFR. Comrades and Farms here on Truth Frequency Radio, iHeart, Tuned In, Talk Stream Live, and also on the Pharmacy Seeds Network YouTube channel. That's F A R M A C Y, as in let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. Tonight, I want to talk a little bit about ecology and ecological impact of farming, and uh, we'll just kind of go from there. I don't have any uh, guests planned for tonight, just uh, going to kind of discuss uh, some of the things that we've talked about before, maybe drill to a little bit more detail on them. But before I do that, I want to go ahead and welcome everyone in the chat here. Uh, quite a list of people here. Looks like uh, YTFP, Chris, Marie Bon, So Much Blue Line. Uh, let's see, Justin Goodearth, Geeky Gardens, and uh, I think... That's everyone so far. If I missed you, I apologize. Just shout out. No, shout out to you. We'll go over here and check in on the uh, chat here on TFR. Let's see if there's anybody listening over here. Looking quiet over there on TFR tonight. That's all right. I uh, hope everyone is uh, ready for the holiday in whatever form or fashion they're going to celebrate it. Uh, with Thanksgiving coming up, it's always good to uh, keep thanks and gratitude in our heart. But I think that's something we should probably be doing year-round, every day. Um, we often have a lot of blessings in our lives that we don't necessarily recognize. And I think it's good to uh, just kind of review that from time to time. Um, so, uh, ecological impact. Uh, first, let me just make sure audio is looking good here, too. Uh, audio all okay over there, guys, on the YouTube chat? I know I saw reports of some buffering before. And uh, Oh, yeah, I guess I should talk about uh, the connection here. Uh, so it looks like Tuesday, December 1st, we'll be getting fiber optic installed. And so hopefully that will improve this buffering and uh, connection situation. For tonight, I actually turned down the uh, stream kilobits per second for the YouTube side of things. So uh, I apologize if the quality isn't as good, but I'm hoping that that will keep a, a clean stream connection. Um, 
anyway, uh, so ecological impact of farming. And uh, I kind of want to compare a little bit between uh, ecological impact of conventional farming and ecological impact of regenerative agriculture. And there are lots of uh, interesting parallels and comparisons there. Um, so let's just take a look at uh, some of the problems that we're having right now in. Uh, <laughs> uh oh, I'm getting reports of audio issues already. Great. Uh, let's just talk about uh, the ecological impact of conventional farming for starters. Um, in conventional farming, typically you're doing a lot of tillage, you're on the chemical fertilizers. Uh, that tillage and chemical fertilizer addition is removing a lot of the humates that are in the soil. And those humes buffer and regulate some of those uh, those more uh, soluble uh, compounds in the soil, like nitrogen and such. Um, and looks like YouTube is having an issue again. Uh, so, uh, in in that happening, you're reducing the soil's capacity. Basically, in using tillage and chemical fertilizers. You're killing the biology off, so then you're reducing the soil's capacity to buffer out those more uh, soluble nutrients, and so then they end up flowing off in water and, um, and into, into uh, streams and stream beds, and that affects the ecology and the aquatic life. It affects how the, uh, how the, um, uh, the algae blooms happen and um, it causes all sorts of problems. So that's just one aspect of the chemical fertilizer thing. Uh, the other side of it is as you're degrading your soil in the conventional systems with tillage and chemical fertilizers, you're actually reducing the soil's ability to produce on its own. You're making it more dependent on those chemicals and fertilizers. And eventually you reach a crashing point. And we're seeing a lot of that in our big agricultural systems now. And uh, oftentimes they, uh, they try to jump to a new chemical or a new, uh, you know, more intense fertilizing method. And that doesn't work after a while. And then, uh, you know, eventually, eventually they have to look at regenerative agriculture. So let's just go over and take a look at the regenerative agriculture, agricultural model. And these are just some very broad basics about them. But in the regenerative, regenerative agricultural system, instead of trying to till and chemical your way into success or into yield, which is really what it comes down to, right? It comes down to the bottom line. A farmer has to make a living on the soil, and uh, he has to use any tool available to him to do that to keep his farm in production. So that's where we kind of end up in that trap way of having to, you know, do more chemicals or more fertilizer, more chemical fertilizers or more pesticides in order to uh, fix our yield problems. But if we step back and we look at the biological system that goes into regenerative agriculture, where you're trying to reduce tillage, where you're trying to use and foster good biology and good species diversity, and eventually you start to build the soil up. You build up the humic matter in the soil and you have a greater uh, buffer capacity in the soil for handling those anionic nutrients like nitrogen and phosphorus that typically end up in runoff. And the other thing you end up doing is you end up unlocking those nutrients that are bound up in soils, especially in like tight clay soils. Those soils have a tremendous amount of mineral nutrition in and on those clay colloids, but they need to be unlocked. 
And when you get the biology right uh, and you get the exudates coming out of plants, you basically get all sorts of organic acids and all sorts of energetic compounds that support the biology unlocking and breaking that soil open. Uh, and then once you do that, this whole process accelerates and your soil gets better and better, faster and faster. Um, let's see. We'll look at conventional versus regenerative from a feeding and livestock perspective. Let's just look at uh, conventional chickens, for example. You take chickens and you stick them in a, uh, you know, a big container house, basically. You give them very little space to move around. And you're trying to either just produce, uh, you know, chicken meat or chicken eggs from it. Um, so now you have this huge pile of chicken waste that is not like uh, bird manure would be naturally in the environment. If you look around the environment, you look at like even where clusters of pigeons happen, their manure, you know, say it's on a barn roof, right? And their manure is like being rinsed off in the rain and coming down onto the farm. It's being pushed into the soil at a slower rate. Then if you just take and, you know, collect a giant uh, dump truck load of manure and take it down and try to dump it onto a field. Um, so it's just, again, it's that little unnatural process, right? Where now we compare that with the regenerative agriculture system uh, for chickens in the regenerative system where they're in the chicken tractor. They're being moved over the ground. They're constantly improving the soil, adding nutrition to it and taking a big part of their nutrition from it. And in doing so, we're closing the fertility loops and we're improving the soil health. Um, so let's compare now between uh, livestock like cattle. So cattle typically in conventional agriculture, they take them, they stick them in a feedlot, and they feed them high-protein grains, and they basically fatten them up from that. So now you have a whole bunch of cattle all sitting in the same lot, and they're eating and pooping, they're walking in... in I mean, oftentimes they're up to their knees in poop walking around. That's not natural for a cattle, any kind of cattle. You take them and you put them out on the farm in the regenerative system, and now you're moving them regularly, and they're grazing a portion of that grass down, and then you're, they're being moved to a new rotation place. In that grazing, they're adding their urine, which has the nitrogen, many trace minerals in it, and their manure and the biology from the manure, the ruminant animal basically has a very similar biological profile in their digestive tract that should be in the digestive tract of the plant, which is the soil. So you compare those two and you look at, you know, the waste generated in feedlots and you get a rain event. What do you think happens? Well, all that nitrogen and urea and phosphorus and all those soluble compounds in that manure are going to run off. And that's why you see many of these commercial feedlots. There's all this uh, sediment and erosion and water controls for runoff from the feedlot because they're not using it. They're not using an actual system. They're using an artificial system that doesn't really look at the natural model and try to mimic it and take advantage of the benefits of it. So um, I guess I just wanted to kind of iterate the difference between the two. Um, I read an article earlier this week. Uh, I'll have to see if I can dig that link up at some point. But it was uh, it was about uh, General Mills starting to look at regenerative agriculture for sourcing. I thought it was really interesting that uh, their perspective on it, from my opinion, and I will dig this article up and I will share it uh, both on the YouTube channel and the description of this show later. 
and uh, maybe I'll try and dig it up during the break and share it here in the TFR chat as well. Um, but they were basically kind of looking at regenerative agriculture like we've seen the organic movement happen, where it just kind of becomes a label. And it's not so much about the principle of regenerating soil as it is about, uh, you know, making sure that customers keep buying your product. Um, so, I don't know, it's kind of frustrating to see that happening. But I think there's going to be some new changes now. We have a lot of technology available to us uh, on a very personal level. I mean, just the fact that I'm able to sit here and broadcast on Truth Frequency Radio as well as on YouTube from my house on my computer. Like, we have a tremendous, tremendously greater ability to communicate directly with each other on a much higher bandwidth. And in a community structure, we can have open discussions about things like this. So I think... Uh, I think the future, despite what we're seeing right now, I think the future looks really good for agriculture. And I think you're going to see some massive changes in probably the next five to ten years is going to be monumental shifts in how uh, how agriculture is done, how food labeling is done as it relates to that. And uh, I think you're going to start to see the nutrient density of crops go up. Um, even, the, even the big companies and systems simply can't ignore the soil degradation that's going and the yield loss. And ultimately that leads to profit loss and eventually it's going to crash. So um, hopefully as we go forward, they'll adopt principles and practices that are much more uh, beneficial to the ecosystems. And that'll, that'll pay back to us in so many ways. You consider uh, if you look outside of agriculture and just consider the cost of ecosystem damage, that we're probably paying as taxpayers to clean up from bad practices. I wonder what the actual financial scope of the impact really is. I don't know, it's something to think about. I have no idea what the numbers are on it, and uh, I don't know. Uh, it looks like we're still having audio trouble, and even on TFR. Is that correct, Justin, or is that has that straightened out here? And... Um, I guess on the break, I'm going to try and turn the bit rate down further on the YouTube stream. Uh, I apologize for these technical issues. I just have a uh, very low bandwidth connection here, and uh, <laughs> it causes the connection to struggle. Uh, but anyway, like I said, that'll be uh, cured soon. Uh, I'd love to hear any comments back from uh, the listeners here, what you guys think about the economic impacts. If you guys have noticed any economic, uh, or not economic, ecological, I'm sorry, economics was last week, ecological impact on the uh, local ecosystems in your area as a result of farming, and either side of that coin, uh, either good impact or you know, like improvements or bad impact and damage from. I would love to hear some feedback about that from the people who are listening here tonight. Um, yeah, they're saying they lost TFR too. Uh, but Kiki says he's still at TFR. You can hear me now. Okay. Good. Uh, so, uh, I guess back to the question was, uh, does anyone notice any ecological impact in their area or around where they live or, or even not around where you live, but have you observed ecological impact and what impact have you observed? Um, 
you know, have you seen uh, improvements in practices? Um, Have you seen damage being done to the environment? Any of that kind of stuff. I'd love to hear about um, anything that you've noticed. Of course, you can always call in if you like as well. Uh, The number to call in is... 213-233-3998. Or if you're in the UK, it's 44203-393-2871. And uh, if you call in, just let me know in one of the chats so I, uh, I know to look for you on the call board. So you're saying you're here fine now, Kiki? And also, is the YouTube audio cleaned up? Because if not, I'll just cancel the YouTube stream. Uh, thank you, Geeky. Much appreciate that. Oh, and by the way, uh, I should mention Geeky Gardens channel. Uh, if you have not seen Geeky Gardens channel, you should go check it out. Uh, he's uh, <laughs> His town has a program where... You can capture feral cats and bring them in to be spayed or neutered for free and then release them back out so that you don't have to uh, deal with a you know a huge cat population that's out of hand. They can actually be spayed and neutered to help reduce the population without uh, you know euthanization, basically. I think that's a great model, and uh, Geeky has captured an entire family of kitties, kittens, and... Uh, brought them through the process, made friends with them, and then released them uh, back out. So if you haven't seen that, it's a great saga to watch. Lots of awesome kitty cat videos. And uh, Geeky really cares about the kitties. YouTube has been buffering for six minutes without any audio and frozen video. Okay. Uh, Thanks for the feedback. All right, so anyone who wants to hear this is going to have to go over to TFR for tonight. Uh, That's at Truth Frequency Radio. Uh, I'm sure Geeky has shared the link. And uh, yeah, it's tfrlive.com. And then you just go click on Listen Live. And there's lots of ways to listen. You can listen on TFR, you can listen on iHeart, Tuned In, TalkStream Live, and you can even call in and listen. So, lots of options. Um, back to the conversation at hand. And let's see, we got a few minutes left. So, anyway, I just kind of wanted to compare between conventional agriculture and uh, the regenerative agricultural model. Um, it's not about putting a label on something or pretending that something is doing the job. Really, in regenerative agriculture, you're either going to see that you're doing the job correctly and you're going to get that environmental feedback that is amplification and health of soil and quality of production. And, uh, and that equates to uh, higher protein content, higher carbohydrate content, if that's what you're after, better uh, disease and pest resistance, um, reduces environmental impact that takes chemical fertilizers and pesticides at least way down, if not completely out of the picture, you know, all these pieces line up in a positive fashion. And uh, like I was saying, it really is going to be impossible to ignore it. 
Um, I think that probably, uh, probably in alignment with John Kempf's sort of prediction, uh, John Kempf is the founder of Advancing Eco Agriculture, and I know I've heard him in talks say that he thinks by 2040 that regenerative agriculture is going to be the mainstream. And 2040 seems like a long ways away, but when you think about it, it's almost 2021. It's really only 19 years away. And I think that that's a long-term prediction myself. I think it's probably about 10 years away before it really starts to switch over. And uh, I think by 2040, it'll be pretty much already there. Uh, but, you know, we'll see how fast it plays. The regenerative movement has certainly accelerated tremendously since I discovered it and sort of um, came on board with it. And uh, it's been really fascinating and exciting to see how fast it's flipped over and come around. And uh, I'm looking forward to the future of it because uh, it's going to it's going to change the world in a big and positive way uh, for everyone involved. It's going to make farmers profitable again. It's going to make people healthy again. It's going to clean up our soils and our lands and our air and our water. And all of those are important on this little rocket ship, as Mr. Tom Seward from the First Nations was saying. I think that's a great perspective of it. With that, we're going to the break. We'll catch you on the other side. No hate, no hype, no fear. Real people, real radio. in farms here on truth frequency radio usually on youtube as well although youtube is having connection issues tonight uh we'll have that straightened out next week uh before the show before the break we were talking about ecological impact and i was asking the audience some questions and uh we we're also diagnosing technical issues but uh, it seems like we're through the technical issues it doesn't seem like anyone has any uh, personal experience uh with ecological impact regarding um, farming practices nearby. So I guess we'll just move along. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about tonight was the greenhouse a little bit. Uh, I've been out there doing some tweaking and getting some things straightened out uh, temperature-wise. So uh, the last couple days, I've been moving a bunch of wood chips that I had. They were uh, pine and spruce wood chips. And they were... Uh, I tested them on plot that I have here as a mulch source but they ended up changing the biology of that soil so badly that uh, growing in it turned out not to be great. 
So instead of continuing to make the same mistake over and over, I opted to just leave those chips in a pile and save them for some other purpose. Uh, over time, I've used them. Uh, they've been great for putting down a bed on roadways here. We have very heavy clay soils here that are uh, very wet and very slippery when we get rain. And so I've used uh, some of that mulch for that. The other thing that I found is great to use this for since I've gone around the greenhouse. When, back when I first built it, I didn't have any insulating panels around it. And uh, I had built it pretty tight. It was uh, it's plastic layered over and tucked down to the frame of the greenhouse and then filled over with soil. So there was a nice tight seal there. But uh, over time, I've realized that uh, parts of that lower frame are starting to rot out. We've had some mice and uh, woodchucks get into a couple of places and burrow little holes in. And we were starting to get some air leaks in there. So uh, in the process of going back and trying to up the efficiency of the greenhouse, I went around, I put in uh, two-inch styrofoam insulation all around the the first two and a half foot of the greenhouse. And then around that, on the outside of the greenhouse, I packed the wood chips all around in a berm, like a wall around it. And the difference that that has made is tremendous. If you go to my YouTube channel, every uh, every so often I'll upload a video uh, called Greenhouse Update with Charts or Changes Reflected in Charts. And you can see I'm using what's called a Raspberry Pi. It's a single board computer. And it's hooked to a bunch of thermal sensors in the greenhouse, as well as a relay board for controlling thermal controls, um, including venting. Uh, so I'm using that to monitor it. So you'll see my charts and you'll see the changes. As I make these upgrades to the greenhouse, you can see how much more stable the temperature is in there and how much more uh, heat we're able to sequester in the form of uh, warm water, basically, by capturing a certain portion of the BTUs that are coming off of the wood stove that heats the greenhouse into water tanks and then sequestering that. Uh, eventually, I'm going to add a thermal circulator loop that goes underneath the grow beds in the greenhouse. And I'm going to import some more of those wood chips and put them on top of those coils to distribute that heat evenly. And that is going to make a, a huge difference. I think this winter I'll be able to greatly reduce my fuel consumption in there um, I think I burned about six cords of firewood last year. And I think with this uh, new system and a little bit of tightening, I uh, should be able to get that down much lower. So uh, that's pretty exciting and interesting. Uh, <laughs> YTFP says, beaver snacks, wood chips. I like that. I like that. Yeah, so... Um, so in the process of that, I've also been doing some upgrades. I put a new pump in to replace the thermal thermal siphon pump that had gone bad in there. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with this, I guess I should explain a little bit about that. In the greenhouse, I have a large wood stove. Uh, it's a Sierra. It's a really nice uh, older stove. I think it's about 20 or 25, maybe 30 years old, but a big old box of a stove with good airflow controls on it. It's got a screw, uh, metal screw air airflow controls so you can really fine-tune how much air you're letting through. And then on top of that is a 40-gallon or 200-quart stainless steel pot full of water that basically acts as the primary heat capture for the thermal mass system for the water part of this. And then inside of that is a wort chiller coil. Um, that coil is 
uh, basically a 50 foot half inch or three eighths copper coil. And I have a tank next to the wood stove that I use as a secondary thermal mass tank. And so in that I have a submersible pump and that pumps water from that tank up and through the coil and then back to that tank. So we can basically take BTUs out of the first tank into the second tank or any other tank or array of tanks or send it out through the beds to warm the beds. Basically we can extract that heat and use it. And, um, so, uh, the, the raspberry Pi in the greenhouse monitors both the primary and the secondary tank temperatures. And based on the difference between those temperatures and certain settings on the greenhouse, uh, for example, right now I have it set so that, uh, when the thermal mass on top of the stove reaches 140 degrees, it kicks on the pump and takes heat off to the secondary tank. And when it gets down to 125 degrees, it kicks back off and then it won't kick on again until it hits 140. So that's basically how it's sequestering heat over to the secondary tank. Um, I have a question here in the chat from YTFP on TFR. And oh, and uh, Geeky says, I'm looking forward to the effect of the improvements you're making. Uh, thank you, Geeky. I am too. I think it's going to equate to a lot less stoking and a lot less worry and concern about the greenhouse. Uh, let's see. So, YTFP says, Could you throw a stepper motor on the variable screw thing? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, I actually have been thinking about that. Um, and it's something I want to do, but every time I think about that, I can't help but go like three or four steps beyond that in my head. And um, where I go with that is basically a hopper feeder into, it doesn't have to be a wood stove. It could be a rocket furnace or, you know, you could some sort of a efficient burn device, probably a rocket furnace. And then when I get to that, I'm like, okay, well, if we're going to control the airflow on that level and the, uh, fuel flow on that level, why not go one more step? and make it into a wood gasifier and then we can take power off it as well and power additional lighting and power other parts of the farm from it so <laughs> so every time i think of that that's where i go and i think like if i'm going to do it let's go big or go home um but i'd love to hear any thoughts or insight on that ytfp Apologize for the dead air moment there. Um, <laughs> Geeky Garden says, take a hammer to a printer and harvest stepper motors already using low volts. I thought about that. The problem, though, is that stove is going to need, it's going to need the stepper motor stuff to be removed from it enough not to melt. Because the front of that stove, when that thing's running hot in the wintertime, uh, I mean, I can't, I literally can't keep my knee within three feet of that thing. Like if I sit down in front of the stove with my knee three foot from the front of the stove in about 45 seconds, my knee will still be so hot that it'll be starting to burn and I'll have to move away. So, um, the airflow control would have to be like an add on thing to the stove. But I like the idea. I mean, I, you know, the idea is definitely on my mind, but my thought is to build a, an actual airflow control box and maybe bolt that onto the stove 
and then you can remove those controls from being cooked by the by the stove itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sort sort of a long rod with a silicon coupler. Uh, YTFP says, yeah, something like that. Um, I don't know. Anyway, I I really want to move the whole project forward. Uh, like the budget to do that and the time to do that and the energy to put into that design. I feel like that needs to go into the full step forward to the wood gasifier because I really want to add supplemental lighting back to the greenhouse. And anytime you start talking about, uh, you know, power consumption like that, I know there's LED out and stuff, but you still, if you look into solar power and battery banks, that is an incredibly expensive way still to, to do supplemental lighting and power systems. And if you could just generate, you know, say a kilowatt from the greenhouse heating system for, you know, even if you could do that for six hours or even four hours, um, but six would be nice. You know, like sun usually goes down here, like this time of year, it's starting to get like, you know, by 345 or 4, it's starting to go down and it's pretty dark by, you know, 415. If we could extend that out to like 815 with good light intensity, we could really uh, improve growing here and 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 uh, and grow a lot more crops a lot better throughout the winter. And that's kind of like what the original goal of the greenhouse was. Um, but, you know, obviously there was a learning curve and a testing journey on all these other experiences I've had. Um, I know not to, I don't think too many people have gone back into my archives and looked at the original build of the greenhouse, but that actually had a rocket furnace built in the ground and the heat coming out of that was piped through the floor of the greenhouse to warm the entire thermal mass of the floor. And then, uh, the smoke coming out of that, my eventual plan was to use that to run a generator. Uh, now there's some refinement still to do to the smoke and to the burning system for that, but that did it did I did manage to get flare offs from that. I was actually able to light that gas on fire and and get it to burn, um, not super efficiently or effectively, but it really just comes down to refinement of the gas and uh, and proper burning temperatures. Uh, again, it goes back to good engineering and good science. I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of good engineering. And I think if you're really uh, an insightful and thoughtful engineer, your engineering should go farther than just creating something that works, but off into something that doesn't cost a lot to operate and doesn't require a lot of maintenance. I, those are like such core parts of anything I design. I really like to make things as maintenance-free as possible. You know, every time you got to maintain something, it's it's uh, it's more of your time spent on that. And one of the things I try to do here on my farm is set up systems that make it so I have to do less redundant tasks every day because those add up to your time loss, and that ends up to your you know your loss of quality of life basically to doing chores that you could assign a piece of equipment to do or set up in a way that take a couple of minutes rather than you know half an hour or forty five minutes. Um, Anyway, so that is kind of my perspective on that. But I do like the idea of air intake controls. Uh, I have found that I can just basically, once I get that stove up and running, I can stoke that thing up and set the throttle at what I want, knowing what the night's going to be. And the thermal mass management really kind of handles most of that. So uh, that's been kind of nice.
DT Garden says, I have a 6 and 18 inch actuator I'm not currently using. Got them for the solar tracker project. I haven't touched in a couple of months, but the 300 pound capacity would be overkill for an air handler. Yeah, I have an extra uh, 200 pound. Uh, I think it's, yeah, I think it's 200 pound. 200 pound uh, linear actuator. Actually, I have two of those. One that was broken, I could probably fix, and one that was brand new. That's the second replacement that they shipped when the other one failed. Um, you know, it's all on my mind. It's just, uh, it's another another project to build, and then and then I have to have to figure out how to do that without taking up all the space for the front of the stove, so I can get at it to stoke it too. Because there's no way to feed fuel into that stove currently. So then then you're looking at like welding and putting a chute in and some sort of a feeder and you know. <laughs> Um, yeah, the setup cost, uh, YTFP says too bad. The setup costs are so expensive for hydrogen. There's a guy that splits and stores hydrogen from solar, but the equipment and tanks are in the hundred thousand dollar range or more. Yeah. And I've seen that done a lot cheaper than that YT. But, uh, at the end of the day, I'm like, man, do I really want to be like storing huge amounts of hydrogen that has explosive potential? You know, the firewood is a nice way to do things. Ideally, what I would do is go to wood chips and work a deal with one of the local wood chip companies and feed wood chips in uh, much like a, uh, a pellet stove. Basically take the pellet stove model and use that in a wood gasifier. Basically amp up the function of it and then, uh, and then use the wood gasifier to run uh, a generator. And then you're producing power from it, and uh, all the heat, the, ex, the byproduct of the generation is the heat, and that gives you your greenhouse heat. You run that into your thermal masses, and then uh, you can pump in and out of your thermal masses to exchange heat to regulate temperatures even better. Uh, I mean, right now I have the thermal masses just in the greenhouse. Ideally, you'd have the thermal masses in an insulated bank removed from the greenhouse, and then you could bring the heat in as needed. Uh, but the big thing I'm working on this year is reducing losses. Uh, I've realized that, you know, I've got this huge cranking stove and I can pour all kinds of heat into it and just brute force it. But I really want to tighten up uh, and reduce the loss because everything I try to design, I try to do it about efficiency. Um, you probably see that in my uh, my Raspberry Pi setup. Uh, even my air circulation script in that is only, it's kicking on these two 12-volt uh 200 CFM fans for 30 seconds every five minutes, just enough to move air around, move heat around, and then back off, trying to be very conservative. Um, eventually, I want to I want to upgrade uh, to a bigger battery bank there and be able to manage a little bit more power usage for airflow and stuff. I really want to get it completely off-grid solar, but you know, every one of those parts is expensive. I, ha- I have the battery I want in mind. It's a, uh, a Concord... AGM Sun Extender. I think it's a 200 amp hour battery, but they're around 500 bucks. So there's that. And I'd want to pair another 100 watt panel with that so I can recover that bank really quickly when we do get a sunny day. And then that would give me a little more play for, uh, for airflow controls and a little more play for running those pumps. That's part of the reason I run those pumps in the way I do too. You know, aside from just reducing wear, uh, also, it's the power consumption. They uh, they take power to run. So if you can make those heat transfers really efficiently and do them in certain temperature ranges that, that really benefit the heat transfer yield, um, it's much more beneficial. I guess what I should do one of these nights is leave the pumps on 
and show you the wattage consumption and how the heat transfer depreciates at a certain point and also how that affects the stove temperature because you can actually kind of stall the stove out if you take that thermal mass tank on top down too cold too fast. Geeky Garden says Mr. Tessalonian did uh, Mr. Tessalonian on YouTube did a bunch of wood gas projects a few years ago. Even had a Chevy Love running on it. Yes, Geeky, that's the guy that uh, really got me inspired. And there are a few other good uh, good uh, wood gasifier guys out there and videos out there. Uh, I'm trying to think of the one. Uh, boy, what was the name of that guy's channel? Uh, the Drizzler. Uh, yeah, I think if you look up the Drizzler on YouTube, he's got it pretty well worked out for uh, for a system there. You can continuously add fuel. Uh, I like Mr. Teslonian's ones as well. Uh, they're a little bit intense on welding and cutting on steel. If you've ever done welding and cutting on steel on a big project like that, it is a lot of work. Um, but I do like those very much. I like how they're very uh, reloadable and manageable. And he's, he does some really nice design work. I, I love his channel. So, uh, But yeah, those are great. If people haven't seen those, definitely go check out Mr. Teslonian on YouTube. His uh, All of his videos are great, uh, but especially his wood gas videos. He does uh, one, I think it's called One Hour the Full Show. Uh well worth checking out if you're interested in alternative fuel sources and power and uh, heat production that can be done from wood. So excellent stuff. Yeah. Uh, what else did I do in the greenhouse? Let's see. I upgraded a voltage controller in there. I upgraded the five volt voltage controller that go, that feeds the Raspberry Pi, the relays, and all of those. Uh, lower voltage, more computer-type components. Uh, I had a 3.5-amp, 5-volt power supply from D-Rock that I got through Amazon. I think that cost like, I don't know, 6 or 8 bucks. It was pretty cheap. And uh, I just recently, well, back about a month ago, I ordered a, the, the upgrade for that, which is, I think it's also 3.5 amps, but this has a digital display on it and adjustable voltage uh, zero to 32 volts uh and you can take zero to 32 volts in and basically adjust down to whatever you want so i got that to replace it uh installed it set the voltage at 5.25 volts to match the raspberry pi 4 and then (laughs) went to power the pi 4 up and it tried to boot up but couldn't quite boot up so then i stuck the digital multimeter on the Raspberry Pi bus and checked it 4.29 volts. So the voltage reading on the meter itself was off by about a volt. So then I sat there and I tweaked the voltage output up watching the meter on the Pi up to 5.23. And uh, it's been running nice and smooth since I made that changeover last night. So uh, that's encouraging to see, but uh, a little disappointing because it's reading 6.27 volts on the output side of that converter. Uh, and I've been through, I've been through that power feed pretty well. I have not seen any resistance in there that should make that drop like that. So I suspect I got a meter that's possibly bad. 
And let's see, uh, YTFP, oh, Geeky Gardens put the uh, link for the Drizzler Gasifier on YouTube. Thank you, Geeky. Much appreciate that. Yeah, that guy has a group, I think, on Facebook as well. I don't know. I don't do Facebook, but uh, they have a group on there where they're uh, exchanging ideas and working on the, the, the wood gasifier stuff. Very interesting, very scientific-minded people doing some excellent work on that. And YTFP says, wonder if you could use peak hours to charge a pressurized vessel and use that pressure later to circulate water off, uh, circulate water in off peak hours. Peak hours to charge a pressurized vessel. Ah, uh, yeah, like with a big, uh, yeah, you, you know how you do that, YT? You'd use, you'd use air pressure. You just run a compressor and press, uh, you know, compress air. So you'd need a tank that was up to, I mean, you know, taking those pressures. Um, ideally, what I want to do is is set this whole thermal mass thing up so the pumps can boost operation, but set it up so that you're just taking advantage of the thermal siphon effect for doing your circulation all. I have that all in my head on how to do that and incorporate that with the wood gasifier, but uh, it's an expensive build, so it's going to have to wait until... Uh, until I win lotto that I don't play or or something else comes along but uh when it does I will I will build it if it does when it does yeah I, yeah at the end of the day it's cheaper just to upgrade the solar and battery bank for for the scale that I'm at for what I'm doing for a larger scale I definitely uh you know definitely would make sure the money up front was invested in the heating system because that'll pay off for the rest of the life of the greenhouse. And then all you really got to worry about, if you build that with steel and concrete really well, all you really got to worry about the rest of the life of the greenhouse is replacing the covering. So <laughs> Justin Gooder says, I have so much to learn about all this. Well, uh, you know, I'm more than happy to teach you. If you have questions and you want to call in, we could, uh, we could hash out a conversation about it. If you want to talk about it, or if you want to talk about anything else, Always appreciate your call-ins and insight and thoughts and ideas. Kiki Garden says, yeah, uh, YT, but life is an experiment. Uh, love the experiment. So much left to learn. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I completely agree. Completely agree. Anyway, so that's what's going on with the greenhouse. Um, I don't know if there's anything I've missed in all of that, uh, except that, you know, it's a lot warmer in there. I see the plants responding to that better comfort. Uh, when I put down moisture tonight, uh, usually when I put down moisture, I'll come back in a couple hours, and a lot of that has evaporated and, and slipped out of the greenhouse or condensated back in on the inside walls, and I noticed it was still warm and moist in there when I went back in a couple hours later. So that's nice to see. Um, so these improvements are, are showing results and that's exciting. And, um, looking forward to continuing to improve all that and sharing it with you on YouTube. What else? Let's see. Uh, so the lemons are doing really well. Uh, I've got one sitting here. I guess I'll show that for the, uh, later on YouTube video from my upload. There you go. As a Meyer lemons and uh, my friend geeky sent me lemon seeds for Ponderosa lemon. 
which he had a one pound, 10 ounce, was it geeky? Uh, Ponderosa lemon that he made a pie with. And, uh, <laughs> geeky says, folks, don't tell anyone, but Carlton grows better citrus in New York than I do in Florida. I don't know if that's quite true. Geeky. Censorship and regulation is becoming an ever-growing problem in today's modern media. From the mainstream to YouTube and Google, the information you're looking for is buried by official narratives and propaganda. This is why TFR is 100% uncensored, unregulated, and listener-supported. The shows on TFR are not micromanaged by the station, and our hosts are free to speak their minds however they please. As such, the views and opinions expressed on our station are of those who make them. If you happen to hear anything offensive on TFR, please send us an email to toughtitty at tfrlive.com, and we'll be happy to tell you that we really don't give a damn. We stand for freedom of speech and non-censorship. If you also stand for free speech, you can go to tfrlive.com slash sign up and sign up for a TFR supporter pass and help us in our mission to keep the airwaves uncensored and unregulated. TFR Live. Your uncensored and unregulated protection from deception. You are now tuned into the truth frequency. Your protection from, 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 from deception. This is Truth Frequency Radio. here on Truth Frequency Radio, iHeart, Tuned In, TalkStream Live, and usually on the Pharmacy Seeds Network YouTube channel. Uh, we were talking about uh, ecological impact of farming in the first part of the show. In the second part of the show, we talked a little bit about my greenhouse and controls of greenhouse. And then uh, during the break here, I had some questions, uh, just some general update stuff uh, YTFP was asking, what are my plans when winter comes? And wants to hear about uh, chickens, bees, pests, ground cover, improvements made, how many ramp pump modifications are holding up, etc. 
So some general farm stuff. Uh, it's a good point. I haven't really spoken about those much here on the show. Um, so my plans when winter comes, uh, I'm going to continue on the improvements on the greenhouse. That's obviously we talked about that a good bit. Uh, I also, uh, I can't really talk too much about things here just yet, but it looks like I will be taking on a new venture regarding food quality. And, uh, I'm really excited to be part of that venture. So I think that's going to take up a, a, a big chunk of my time. Um, but that's a good thing. That will be a very good thing. And that'll definitely provide lots of insight and feedback back to the show here on Comrades and Farms and uh, many other places. And that's all I can really say about that right now. But uh, exciting things are in the works. We'll put it that way. On chickens, uh, I pulled the chickens out of the chicken tractor uh, about a month or a month and a half ago. I lost two of them to raccoons. So that was enough for me. And I pulled them out of there. Um, kind of discouraging and disappointing to see that happen, but it is part of the nature of uh, being on a farm and those things do happen. And when they happen, you got to, you know, take the appropriate steps to prevent further loss and sure things up. So I have to build a new chicken tractor for next year. That's already been in the plans for a while. I've just been kind of mulling over how to do it best in my head, how to improve it and make it a little bit, uh, better for fitting down between rows, a little bit lighter to move around and uh, have a few more things on board. Eventually, I probably will put a microcontroller set up on that so I can let them out uh, and close the coop back up by remote control. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll see if the budget comes through to make those sort of things happen. But uh, probably something like an Arduino or uh, ESP32, I think it is, over Wi-Fi. Uh, be pretty cool to uh, to be able to check on water levels and and open and close the uh, cages and maybe even put some sort of a security camera up. I don't know. We'll see on that. But uh, either way, I'm going to build a new, cleaner, better, more lightweight and capable uh, chicken tractor. Uh, honeybees, honeybees. I fed them up good. Uh, I fed them up good. Actually, yeah, call in any time, Justin. Just let me know if you're calling in. Uh, so Justin says, Justin is really high in preparing to help a very large indoor grow in the morning. I could call and talk about that grow system, current culture. Oh, that would be really awesome. Current culture is that uh, you're talking about deep water culture, I think. Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, bees update. Uh, honeybees were fed up on the last warm spell we had, and they're just laying low for the winter. Uh, I do have to go back and put on some tar paper, and I might put some insulation up, and I might put a, uh, a wind block fence up in the western direction just to help reduce winds. Uh, pest update, uh, i got to get back to trapping mice. Ground cover update. Ground covers are doing well. The deer have been grazing them down pretty short, but they're still growing and green, so I'm happy. And I, as much as I was kind of discouraged by the grazing, I see the deer are also doing a lot of pooping, so they're putting the nutrients back. I really can't complain about that um new ramp pump modifications are holding up uh pretty well except uh except we still don't have water in the pond actually we just came up to the pipe level uh of the pond outtake pipe so i'm just waiting for that spring to recover we did get another good bout of rain the other night so hopefully that aquifer is starting to fill back up and we'll have spring water flow again uh, and then i can put the ramp pump back online Right now, I just have the foliar feed pump parked down there, 
and haven't even been using that with the cold weather we've had and the low water supply. I've just been pulling five gallon buckets from that big uh, 4,000 gallon reserve pool right next to the greenhouse. And that's how I've done the watering in the greenhouse, topped up the thermal mass tanks and all that sort of stuff. I could pull that foliar pump up and plug it into the pool, but it's just too much hassle for, I can just go out there and huff a couple five gallon buckets. Exercise doesn't hurt anyway. So uh, I think that catches up on all of that. Justin, if you want to call in and talk about that current culture, that's one thing I get questions about all the time on my YouTube channel is hydroponics. And I try to explain to them that I, I just don't use hydroponics for a couple of reasons. One, power consumption, and two, requirement of having pumps and controls running all the time. I really like the soil system. It's uh, more reliable and produces better uh, better. Uh, you know, plant medicinal compounds and all that sort of stuff. But, but I do recognize it has its place and it is a very powerful tool in the, uh, in the grower's toolbox, so to speak. And, uh, and it has been done successfully on large agricultural scales as well. So, you know, I would love to share the insight and, and, and information about that, regardless of, uh, my personal perspective on which model is better. Let's see, uh, Geeky Garden says, I vaguely remember a time I resembled that without having the helping of helping a very large grow part a long time ago. <laughs> understood, understood. Oh, it looks like uh, Justin is here. Let me unmute him. Let's see, I think you're on the air. Hello? Hello. Uh-huh. How are you? Hey, not too bad. Good to uh, hear from you. It's always funny dealing with the lag. I gotta, you have to like uh, acclimate to the, to the lag. <laughs> I know you have to do this like long pause to make sure the person is done. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I had to leave the room that I. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. So yeah, I'm uh, working on a job that uh, it's all indoor. They have about six buildings, and they're slowly turning everything into the current culture, which is is like a deep water culture, like you were saying. That must be some massive operation. What sort of it is pretty is large? Thousands of plants. Thousands of plants. Wow. What sort of pumping system do they use? Like, what are they use for pumps for that? What is it? And what like, what is the power consumption? I guess <clears throat> is kind of my question. Um, I honestly I don't know the full power consumption for all of the buildings. Um. And I don't even know that they do because there's so much. I mean, they probably know everything, like the full power consumption, but they, they use so much power because they're running double-ended Gavitas, and those are a 1,000 watts each. Wow. And uh, usually uh, high-pressure sodium or metal halide. Um, the pumping systems actually don't use a whole lot of energy, though. I mean, not near as much because they only have to pump 
it's only pumping intermittently. Okay. In, now, are they diffusing? It's not uh, a con. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to ask, are they diffusing air into that as well? Like, are they using aerators in, in combination with that? Yeah, they use, uh, there's aeration rings at, in the bottoms of each. And it, it's really a super simple concept, really. I mean, it's just, it's just on a larger scale. They're basically um, somewhere around a 50-gallon, 50, 50 to 60-gallon totes. Wow. Essentially, that are connected together with uh, eight-inch PVC. Wow. And yeah, the PVC is at at the highest level that they can get it at, and then there's a they have lids on them, and each each one they call a mod has six uh, holes in it that hold a one-gallon pot. Okay, so they okay. put the yeah, they put the plants in those uh, in those pots with uh, shoot, I can't remember what they're called. They're these little red balls, uh, the hydro oh, balls yeah. of some sort. Everybody yeah. calls Hy them hydroton. Is it hydroton? Yeah, everyone calls them raspberries. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean though. They're like a clay pellet, basically, like a clay ball. Right, it's just to basically give it some sort of structure for the roots to grow in. It really doesn't do anything. You can you can pre-charge those with uh, microbes, which is helpful, you know. Yeah. To in any kind of organic system, but basically that's all that's in those pots, and and they can be reused, you know. And it's really a yeah. pretty efficient thing as far as a commercial setup goes yeah very modular and easy to sterilize and and change in change out that was one of the things i liked i uh i had both a flood hydroponic system back in the day and then eventually i built an aeroponic system where it was like spray inside of the tubes i think i used a six inch tube and by the way that stuff is crazy expensive i can't imagine the cost for eight inch Woo! but um yeah that worked really well and you know, it was uh, is amazing how big a plant you could grow, and how little space the roots actually needed. You know, it, it like it's interesting they're using double-ended thousand watt HPS. I think I had like eight foot fluorescence in the setup I had, and uh, you know I was just growing tomatoes and peppers and lettuce, just kind of playing with hydroponics. But uh, it was amazing how much plant matter you got there, and how little root matter was actually below in those systems, but huge difference in, uh, efficiency when I went to the arrow system where it was, there was more oxygen available to the roots. Yeah, it is really amazing. And when you, when you pull them up, when we go to harvest these plants, we, we cut them off at the base, you know, and haul out the entire plant. It has to be weighed wet as a haul plant. And then it, and they get weighed, you know, after they're broken down and then after they're dried, you weigh all the waste, blah, blah, blah. But when you, you cut them off at the base, 
then you go back to clean out all these mods, the, the, the entire tote, you know, with six plants, one gallon plots in it, the entire thing will be full of roots. And it will wow, be wrapped okay. around the, the air rings and everything in there. <laughs> it's a mess. Yeah, yeah, that cleanup. But is you can basically... Right. But with them all linked evenly with a, you know, a level flow, you're just pushing everything through with a, a pump, you know, that's just yep. pulsing every once in a while. Yeah, and yeah, what they do to feed the nutrients, they feed nutrients into a central, the pump location, you know, where they're actually yep. pumping the sump from. basically. And, and yeah, and they cycle it through the entire system about three times, and then they flush it. Wow. Now, what, what's, are they using, like, organic nutrients, or what, what, what kind of a nutrient regime are they using in general? Yeah, this farm that I'm working on now is using an organic nutrient line. Um, they actually, they kind of uh, Frankenstein it together from a few different nutrient lines, depending on, you know, a lot of it depends on cost and and uh availability yeah <clears throat> but they they use a lot of uh nectar for the gods online and here out here unfortunately um it's really saturated with um oh damn i can't remember the name now <laughs> that's a good thing i guess I'm General starting to forget hydro. these losers. Uh, General Hydro. Yeah, General Hydroponics. <clears throat> They've been a big hydro industry for a long time. Yeah, and they're right across the river from our house. So, and from the the farm is is about twenty minutes away from here. So they're really close and. So it's super available here, and it makes it a lot easier for them to to get those nutrients. But yeah, those shipping costs. Can I feel like for the most part, they're organic. Yeah, ah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, I wonder. It makes me wonder if you could do that. You know, uh, like say, how do I put this? The Korean natural farming regenerative twist on that and make your own organic nutrients, but do it in that deep water culture. I wonder if you could make that work in a greenhouse and then you could basically keep your greenhouse temperature by keeping your thermal mass banks and your plant nutrients all at the same operating temperature. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, that's actually a concept that I've been thinking of, uh, kind of like that. Anyway, uh, I don't know if I mentioned it before, but I, I was thinking of a uh, to try to set up like a dual root zone. So you've got you've got soil that the plant is originally growing in, but it's growing into an aquifer type deal. You know, you have yeah. a, a channel. Yeah. Below the soil, you can, right? You could just net it and separate the soil from the, the stream basically flowing underneath. So you can keep the stream at a, at a warm temperature, you know, not, yeah. not hot, obviously. No, you would but need it one would, like 65 would or 70. 
Right, and it would thermally heat the the soil and everything too, and you would also be generating heat from all the decomp you know decomposition and all the the life that's going on in the soil at the same time. So you yeah. essentially shouldn't need too much heat as long as you're insulated. No, exactly, exactly. That that's a brilliant idea. I like the. Uh... I like the soil, basically soil, like a soil, almost like a bog where you have the soil floating, I mean, not floating, but, you know, effectively floating on the water. That makes a lot of sense. You could probably, you could probably just spin through an aquaculture pond. I wonder if you could provide enough nutrient for like flowering cannabis plants for that or like, you know, heavily fruiting tomatoes. <clears throat> I bet you probably could if you did some amendments. You right? could. Yeah, it totally depends on the size of the pond, you know, I and mean, how much water you're supplying. But if you're if your stream that's flowing under all your bed is only so wide, you know, or whatever. I mean, the, the only issue would be how to free up the debris and everything, you know, yeah. after each harvest. I don't know necessarily how you would go in there and eat out all the excess root systems and everything that have grown into there, you know, and keep them from clogging the stream. <laughs> I wonder, I'll bet you could almost do, and there's, there's gotta be a way to manage that. I bet you could engineer your way around that. Anyway, that's a cool idea. Um, do you have any uh, possible plans for messing around with that in your greenhouse? I know you have a greenhouse out there and you've talked about, uh, you know, extending the season more with it. You have a plan to use for a small section just to try it as a you know as a trial run and see. I'm a I'm a big proponent of uh, trial and error on a small scale. <laughs> so yep. I have a a massive fish tank that I used to uh, I used to raise brachius cichlids and uh, clown knives and stuff like that. I used to really be into fish. And uh, I still have my tanks, but I'm not using them for anything. So I have a tank that's it's about seven feet long and probably 20 inches wide or something. It's not super wide. It's really long. It's about 145 gallons, I think. Oh, awesome. And I awesome. thought about trying it with that first. Yeah. I'm just building would, a bed be over a the top of that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just saying, just build a bed over the top of that, and you could actually even just make a panel to where you could open it up and look at the root system and see what it's doing and what's going on. You know, if you have a raised bed that you're doing the trial run on. Yep, yep. Yeah, that, that 145, that's like a nice uh, scale to try that with, you know, big enough to be, like, more stable. Because I know when you – with I know – the experience I had with hydroponics is you went to too small a system is really the easy ha to have it swing out one way or the other on either in pH or nutrient or whatever. It seemed like the bigger the scale you went, the more uh, stable it was and the easier it was to adjust things. Right. Yeah. That's, that's my experience too. So, but if I tried on the small scale, you know, then I would, I'd be able to make some numbers and, figure out what I needed to do on a larger scale and 
Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe as simple as, you know, just some really large piping like PVC or something like that below, you know, you'd, you'd have to cut a, a groove or a, a channel out of the top of it, but you could possibly ramp that and just run your water through that. Yeah. You're not exactly sure, you know, like I say, you'd have to, cleaning it out could be an issue. <laughs> what about, what about if you took and did gutters, um, and you did like a, you know, you put them on a little bit of the slope so they drain, and you basically, you know, jet into the upper end and let it run down. Right. That that could be that could work too. But you'd I'm still have the same issue in the root zone. Something. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Like with the gutters, you could basically make the gutter an isolated block, like a almost like a planter, right? And then you could take that and dump it out and clean it out as a modular system that comes out of the the bank, so to speak, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you could definitely do that with a raised system. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I I always try to gravitate toward the in-ground because yeah, yeah. height is always a, yeah. an issue with me. Yes, but I mean, you don't need depending on what you're growing. I mean, tomatoes and you know peppers and all that. They don't get twelve, thirteen yeah. feet, yeah. <laughs> you know, or yeah, or yeah, more. Yeah. That's true too. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> yeah, I forget you're dealing with a totally different stature there. <laughs> yeah, and most indicas don't either. I mean, all these farms, they usually only grow them up to about five feet. They start to get real unmanageable after five feet, yeah. and they have a, a time, you know, that they need to they need they need a quick yield. Yeah, well, so that's why most strong. people. Yeah, if you're going under supplemental lighting, you really need to make that lighting count maximum efficiency all the time. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> But yeah, it's all very doable. I just I really want to try it out and see what the better methods are going to be on a smaller scale, and then figure out how to build that up. But I think the dual root zone is really a could be a game changer. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that's a cool idea. Um, I almost wonder if you could use just use tanks and float it on tanks. Uh, just heads up, we're coming up on the break in about a minute or so. Um, okay. But, uh, I wonder about maybe floating on tanks. What do you think about something like that? They can make it so the whole soil block floats. Yeah, I don't know. That was one of the issues I was thinking about. I was thinking about netting or you know some sort of stainless grate system or something to hold most of it up and then yeah eventually Basically you have a pretty stored. dense yeah. yeah that makes sense because mm. 
I'd want to do living soil as far as the the first, you know, the top layers. So you'd have to keep that bed going at the same time, be able to to clear out the aquifer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd almost want to like have that suspended at a fixed height and be able to bring the water level up under it and then back down, right? Oh, right. There's the boat. I'll catch you on your side of the bridge. <clears throat> All right. I'll hang out. Cool. Live and usually on the Pharmacy C's Network YouTube channel. Pharmacy spelled F-A-R-M-A-C-Y, as in let food be that medicine. Tonight, I have Justin Goodearth on the phone. If you don't know Justin Goodearth's channel, it's Justin Goodearth on YouTube. Uh, Justin and I were talking about water culture, deep water culture, and Justin has some great ideas about using combination with organics, regenerative agriculture, Korean natural farming, that sort of stuff. Um, but he was also telling us about uh, deep water culture uh, in the commercial cannabis industry. So, uh, Justin, welcome back. Hey, am I still here? Awesome. Uh, so, uh, what else can you tell us about the uh, the the DWC setup, that commercial setup that you're going to be working on tomorrow? Well, basically, it's it's just that it's it's what I explained. With it, it's got a central uh, feeding system, and you do still have to go individually to each mod, and you know, add in a like a cup of added nutrients to keep it evened out. Because you you're naturally you're going to get most of your nutrients at the front of the line, and they're going to kind of filter out as you go. So there is some balancing to do to, to keep your nutrients even. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but that does actually make sense. Uh, of course, I suppose you could make a plenum that distributed evenly input and output to each plant, right? But then that gets complicated and expensive uh, plumbing-wise, huh? Yeah. And really, I mean, when you got a, a farm that large, you're going to have employees and they're going to have, you know, it doesn't take a guy very long with a little rolling chair and a bucket on a a little uh, bucket dolly 
you're full of nutrients and you just roll down the line. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> There's a little cap in the middle of each one of these mods. You just pull off the cap and you pour in the nutrients right into that little hole. It's like a eight inch round hole with a cap on it. It's super simple for, you know, one guy per building could easily go through and add nutrients in in about an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, that's not bad in labor cost. Yeah. I suppose this is a huge operation, huh? Yeah. It's a pretty big, pretty big indoor farm. It used to be a uh, turkey farm, I guess, before the uh, current owner bought it. Okay. He's an interesting guy. He's actually from, uh, he actually lives in Arizona, but he bought property and all this grow space and everything up here in Oregon, got his licensing in Oregon. So he, he flies back and forth between here and Arizona. Wow. And he has like investors a- in Arizona that are investing in his farm in Oregon. It's, it's kind of a funny setup. <laughs> But it's it's like a lot of people do, you know. It's kind of like the gold rush <laughs> when it, yeah. it became legal out here. A lot of people from out of state and companies bought up land and started growing here because it was legal here early, you know. That's but once they're scary. invested, it's there. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have expected that, but I guess it makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, I know this as this has become legalized, this whole thing has become, uh, like you say, the green rush. Uh, you know, it's amazing how how suddenly that turned the corner from the whole uh, prohibition agenda. Like as soon as there was a chance to like turn it into big profits, it happened. <laughs> Yeah, investors just went crazy out here. I mean, we had people from all over the country investing in property in primarily Southern Oregon because it's Southern Oregon and Northern California are pretty prime growing real estate. Yeah, because of the the temperature and the the amount of sunlight and lack of pollution. Yeah. Yeah, excellent climactic conditions there as a base. Yeah, I mean, not always the greatest soil for cannabis, but you can build your soil, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, it's a you, lot. You can't it's a lot easier to build soil than it is to build sunlight. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah, back to the hydroponic thing. I mean, the aquaponics, honestly, I think is the best way to go. That's the most regenerative way to go. And if you were to incorporate that with my dual dual root zone system, I think that would be the absolute top of the line regenerative way to do it efficiently. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And uh, I wonder, uh, it sounds like, you have fish in the plans. What sort of fish have you uh, been thinking about or have you researched any of that or 
thought about like the meat harvesting side of that with fish. Do you even like fish? I guess is a question. And uh, in that question, so we don't have to go back and forth a leg. Uh, I don't know if you heard uh, Brad talking about feeding uh, the fermented soybeans to to fish on a. I think it was in one of his ponds or something, but he was saying the fish from that were fantastic in flavor. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the uh, the soybean thing. I haven't honestly had a whole ton of time to check out a lot of channels recently. I've been pretty busy. It's harvest season around here, so and including my own. Stuff. So it's been like every day and night just uh, processing, processing. <laughs> but I forgot the first part of that question. Was it? Uh, oh, uh, types of fish. Like as you think about aquaculture, what what type of fish have you considered or thought about as far as uh, for the for the aqua for the pond part of that? Or are you thinking of something other than fish? Yeah. No, I haven't really nailed down the fish. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people that use really hardy fish like koi and that sort of thing. But I'm, I haven't gotten that far into the that whole idea. I'm just trying to figure out. So far, I'm just trying to figure out how to do the build. But yeah, there's I follow a few people that I easily refer back to and and can get that information and because they've already done it and there's a uh, shoot, I can't remember. I think his name is Steve, but he has a uh, YouTube channel called Growing with Fishes. If you just Google Growing with Fishes, he's an aquaponic grower. He's kind of a an ass. He he wants to sell all of his information, but yeah. un, unwittingly, he's pretty much given up most of his information <laughs> if you go yeah. back through you can take notes and collect most of his stuff or you know if you have the money and it's worth it to you i mean right, right. you can pay yeah. the guy and yeah. he'll you just video lessons on everything yeah. yeah 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 and that's worth it that's worth it to a lot of people you know if you're trying to get it set up fast you got the money for, to yeah. finance yeah. a a small grill or something and you just want to get started with aquaponics that dude is the way to go because he has it worked out the guy is super smart and he'll work you through all of your micro analysis all the way through you know yeah the kind of fish how to build your pond everything the whole grow yeah. In many ways, he's he's been part of the that big. Uh, it's got a huge name, and I can never remember the whole thing. But it's like regenerative cannabis culture. Da, 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 da. I can't even remember the whole name of it. But okay. there's, okay. there's a I huge group. Seen, that... I think I might have seen a couple of his videos. Now that you mention it, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he. From what I saw, it was amazing what he had worked out all the logistics really well yeah i mean the guy like i say he's kind of an ass he's eccentric he doesn't like to answer questions <laughs> if you're not paying for it <laughs> but 
he's got like long dreads. He usually is super stoned. He's like smoking a joint all the time. <laughs> but the guy is like, he is a bank of information and he's got farms all over the place. He started in Oklahoma and then he's expanded all over the United States and he's got farms actually in, uh, I think in South Africa. Wow. Wow. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. It's either South Africa or like Honduras or something like that. But he actually goes live and he's got several videos on his channel of him there, you know, in all these other countries growing, you know, building these aquaponics farms. And they're totally, fully regenerative, closed looped permaculture farms (laughs) growing cannabis, you know, it's amazing information. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So I just keep that as a resource and I don't really think about what kind of fish I want until I figure out how I'm going to build my grow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Um, yeah, I know. I, I know. I, 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 what's that? Uh, I said, I know it's a lazy method, but if someone else has already done the work, I'll just use that resource and not have to do the work. <laughs> uh, that's not lazy that's smart <laughs> i mean you know like you say if somebody else already didn't work why go replicate that I and mean, obviously you know for whatever system you're building you'll have to adapt you know little subtle changes to make it fit your growing system but i mean i think that makes a lot of sense that's that's along with the study of mimic nature is like study and mimic perfection right like Right. And these are good sources, you know, that most everybody that I watch, I really bet them well, you know, I'm not going to spend, I'm not going to waste listening to somebody while I'm working if they're not teaching me anything, you know, everything I watch is educational. That's yeah. Yeah. And it's got to be quality information if I'm going to put my time and energy into it. I'm right there with you. Yeah. That's why I'm hanging out here. I always learn something here. Awesome. Well, thank you. So what would be uh, your uh, go ahead. What would be your idea for keeping that water warm? If you if I was going to do the dual root system and have a continuous like slow stream, you know, that flowed through the root system below these plants. Yeah. I would probably have to have at least one pond in the in the greenhouse and and warm that pond somehow. Yep. Yep. I think that's the way to do Without it. Overdoing. Okay. So uh one idea would be to build a water heater that fits whatever fuel source you want to use. I don't know what you're considering for fuel source. It'd be electricity here right now if I was just fired up okay. tomorrow. Okay. Um, so if you're gonna, if you were gonna go with electric, I would do. How would I do that? I'd use. Well, I'm trying to think. I definitely, you definitely want to get the uh, the heat retention 
down tight as much as you can. But yeah, I'd, I'd do a big pond and uh, I probably would do some sort of, um, I don't know how big you can get them, but those uh, fish tank heaters probably would be the way to do it. And then you could just keep your water at your operating temperature, so to speak. And then you could exchange, you know, uh, your water through your pumping system that would distribute some of your heat, one. And the other thing you could do is circulate with some sort of uh, a fan for stirring air. And that would help circulate both heat and humidity and airflow and help balance that, you know, uh, that tricky balance between, you know, too much humidity and not enough. Yeah, I can see that. Definitely the the airflow would have to happen. That's another thing that, that would be a positive though for the the rapid growth of the plant too, is that root aeration and yep. you'd have to run run airlines through your whatever aquifer you got going. Yep. Yeah, you've probably seen them with all that DWC stuff, but they make some really big, pretty efficient, uh, they're basically low-pressure air compressors uh, for aquaponics and ponds and that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so that might be the way to do it, and then maybe just take like a like a half-inch black poly pipe and run it down your channels and drill a hole, you know, a small hole in it every so often so you can distribute air down the whole thing. I'm just thinking from a cheap construction perspective, there probably is tubing you can get specifically for that, right? Yeah, and honestly, I have some, I mean, they're kind of big, but some uh, pretty small um, $75 air pumps that pump out a pretty good amount of PSI. So I could probably run four rows. With just a that little, it's about a a foot square pump, and it it doesn't really vibrate that much. It's but it puts out quite a bit of air. I'd have to go out there and actually read on it to see what the psi is because I want to say I've been underusing it. I've been using it to aerate my water and uh, my oh, feeder for, uh, tanks. Teas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that I've been keys and nutrients in and everything. So I'm really, I'm just aerating four or five 55-gallon jugs. <laughs> I'm not doing much with it. But I could easily aerate, you know, buy another $75 air pump and run, you know, some airlines through the... Right through the pool. Through the bed. Yeah. And then maybe maybe what you do is you run your uh, run one of those diffusers right underneath your intake for your circulation pump, and then you could actually intake, you know, basically fizzing water into your pump and distribute that out through your your circulator. Yeah, you definitely want to circulate it. <clears throat> yeah, but that would be an awesome system if if I could perfect it, and I'm working on it. It's an ongoing project. And I'm super sorry to all those people that go to my channel and <laughs> they don't see much because I'm lame at making content. I need to what I need to do is get a camera and just turn that thing on <laughs> and let it roll and just do a bunch of editing. 
like every time because I'm constantly working on this stuff and I've got these ideas, but I don't do how to record them all the time because I'm always working. It's like, I don't know how you do it. It's a whole nother level of like, yeah, it's a lot of extra work for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I get, I'm trying to get these guys to let me interview them that I work for and stuff. That would be an awesome show. But everybody's really kind of tied about their growing methods and their it's proprietary stuff. You know, everybody's scared that somebody's going to pick up on their gig and they're going to be bigger competition. They don't really want to show it. You know, people have gotten really guarded about their grows, especially out here in Oregon because and in Washington. Because it's so, once they legalized recreational shit, it got so commercialized and we got flooded with weed up here. And yeah. the, a bunch of farms shook off, you know, because of that. The, a bunch of farms couldn't handle it because the prices went down so low. They were like barely making, yeah. you know, barely breaking even after all the investors that they had to sign up with and everything. And, Long farms went tits up. So the ones that yeah. did last through it, they don't really want to give out their information. And there's kind of, it's like the weed battle, right? It's like gold diggers don't want to tell you where they're going to dig gold. Yeah. They don't want to tell you where the location is. They'll, they'll just sell you the gold. <laughs> yeah. So I get it. I get it. People are I remember. I remember people talking about that like here like 10 years ago. Oh, man, as soon as it goes legal, we got to invest. And I remember thinking like, yeah, but see, everybody's thinking that. So what kind of market is really going to be there? It sounds like that that flood happened out there, huh? Yeah, yeah it shouldn't it, it shouldn't be that shallow, right? I mean, you think that people are going to be cooler than that and going to be upstanding businessmen, da, 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 da. But what happens is society freaks out. And even like if you look at the stock market, (laughs) as soon as they hear news that uh, Biden might be the president, all these guys in the stock market were like, okay, well, Kamala said that they were going to legalize weed federally. So let's buy weed stocks. Everybody starts buying weed stocks. What are they buying? They're buying Canadian weed stocks. <laughs> what does that have to do with <laughs> America legalizing weed? Or any of these uh, these states that legalize? Everybody just buys on the news. But they're just buying Canadian stocks. <laughs> like it doesn't, doesn't have anything to do with the America. And so people just react, you know? Everybody, yeah. as soon as the recreational weed was legalized everybody was like buy into weed buy into weed it's legal in oregon first it was colorado right and oregon used colorado as a model when they did their laws they used the olcc to regulate it and you know they kind of just used colorado and then just tweaked a couple things to make it a little better but what they did was they issued too many licenses. They were just giving away licenses. It was like Oprah and whales, you know, you get a whale, you get a whale. Because <laughs> they were like, everybody gets a license. You just pay me the money. It doesn't matter. They weren't scrutinizing these firms very much at all. 
They weren't looking into the nutrient systems they were using, what resources they were going to burn. <laughs> Nothing. They just wanted to know what the money was, and they wanted you to be able to pay this amount to buy this license. And they were absorbing it. <laughs> prizes too. It's like yeah. $8,000 a year for a one tier farm recreationally wow. in Oregon, you know. But wow. that's only the top, that's the license fee. You have to pay into the seed to sale system and this tagging system. And you have to build, you got to have all these cameras. They, they make you have a certain amount of cameras for a certain size grow and those have to be linked to the OLCC so they can monitor you at any time and they're just fee the fee after fee after fee <laughs> and so that's all the so and nobody saw the revenue that came in was incredible and they kept reporting it on the news but the people didn't see the revenue the government yeah. did yeah, yeah, of course. The farmers are still paying people $15 an hour to work on these farms and everything, you know, and yeah. they weren't really benefiting. The farms weren't really benefiting. So it's, and they're still struggling. But the government is, they rake it in, and it doesn't seem to go anywhere. Our roads aren't getting any better. Stupid stuff. <laughs> Or it goes in someone's pocket. Like, I, you know, I got to wonder. Yeah. It goes in their pocket. Our governor is fucking Kate Brown, dude. <laughs> Lockdown <Yes>. Kate Brown. <laughs> Seems like the tax rates keep going. We're the home of and, um, Ted Wheeler and Portland Antifa mayor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's fucking yeah. trash out here, man. <clears throat> They're ruining the West Coast. Yeah, well, <laughs> but I won't go there. I won't go there on your show. It's not about yeah. that. Let's, let's figure out state, how we're going to grow better. The only state that I saw that did grow do that was better. Maine. They pair the care provider with a certain number of people, and they kept it small, modeled, which is kind of cool. But everything else seems to have gone commercialized. Yeah. What people need to be focused on, if you're going to focus on people and growing, and this includes all growing, all farms, everything, we need to, like you said, focus on regenerative farming, start to reamend our land and our air quality and everything. And we need to get a little more off grid and be more self-sufficient. Stop waiting for the government to, you know, everybody's waiting for everybody to feed them. You got to do it yourself. You got to do everything yourself. You got to grow yourself and let's get back to independence and try to move away from this uh, reliance on the government and all this. I think if more people start providing for themselves and... Yeah. You want it done right, do it yourself. I'm with you. Thanks for calling in, Justin. I appreciate the uh, call in and the conversation. Always an excellent conversation with you.
Truth Frequency Radio is your number one source for news and information without the hate, hype, and fear. We're proud to feature cutting-edge programs like Beyond the Veil with Chris and Cherie Geo, X-Squared with Brooks Agnew, Paranormal Portal with Brent Thomas, Jaronism Raw with Jaron and Missa, Fearless with Frank Castle, Strange World with Mark Sargent, The Eye of Ra with Ra Castaldo, The Infinite Fringe with Billy Ray, Ironworks with Josh Corey, The Kev Baker Show, and dozens more. Did you know you can listen from any telephone by dialing 641-793-7117 or call into your favorite show toll-free at 833-TFR-LIVE. Uncensored talking news you won't hear in the mainstream media. Truth Frequency Radio, your protection from deception.